Welcome to Equosity, the podcast about all things equine, with a special emphasis on the horse-human bond. My name is Alexandra Kurland. I'm the author of The Click That Teaches, a step-by-step guide in pictures, and many other books and DVDs on clicker training. And I'm joined by Dominique Day, one of the co-founders of Kavanya. Last week, we began a fun conversation with Alain Lawler, Elaine is a professional dog trainer. She lives with 14 Border Collies, so it won't come as a surprise if I tell you that she teaches herding using positive reinforcement. She's also taught many other dog sports, but at the moment, herding is her particular interest. So what has this got to do with horses? Well, Elaine has become balanced obsessed, which for me is so exciting. Once that genie pops out of the bottle, there's no shoving him back in. Everything changes when you see your training and when you see your learners through the lens of balance. And as you know from these podcasts, I love talking about balance. Good balance, physical and emotional, sits at the core of everything that I teach. At our first virtual science camp that we held last Labor Day weekend, my presentations were centered around rope handling and shaping on a point of contact. I got such a kick out of hearing Jesus exclaiming, there's so much more to this than I thought. He was just thinking it was about picking up a lead rope and oh, was he in for a surprise. Well, Elaine was fascinated by the horsework. She trains dogs, but she got super excited by the horsework. So, of course, I wanted her to join us for a conversation about what can be learned when we look at balance through the lens of training different species. In last week's episode, she started out by describing an experience she had with a client the day after science camp. Her client thought she had a poison cue problem and she wanted Ellen's help. Ellen watched her training and saw that this wasn't a poison cue problem. It was a balance issue, but not in the dog. It was a balance issue in the handler. So that's really fun because when you change the focus, you can see a training dynamic through a completely different lens, and suddenly you're reaching for very different solutions. And in this case, Elaine reached for a solution that worked literally in a couple of clicks. So our conversation took us in the direction of posture and the effect that different postures can have on our animal learners. Does that indeed affect the emotional state of our learner? That's the question. Elaine described a video she uses to illustrate teaching with clean loops. She had her puppy, so he was standing with his back feet on a mat. When she clicked, she placed the treat between her own front feet, so the puppy had to come forward to get his treat. And then he backed up, back onto the mat. When she looked at the video again, after spending a weekend looking at balance through the lens of horse training, she saw that, yes, her timing was absolutely spot on, Her loops were indeed clean, but her puppy's back was all hunched up so that he was looking like a fearful dog. 
the posture was not anything that she wanted. Well, Helen had to interrupt our conversation briefly to deal with her puppies. She needed to take a break, so we did as well. I stopped the episode last week at this point in the conversation, and we'll pick up again as she returned from settling puppies. We're going to be referring to this lesson that she was teaching her puppy of learning how to back. So one of the questions that I have is, now that you've seen that video, or you know, really looked at the video of teaching your dog to back up in that way, how would you change that lesson? Oh, that's a great question. Um, so there are a bunch of things that came to mind. One of them is, is uh, first of all, training my eye to see balance, which I think is really, I'm doing more and more of, like doing, taking, videoing my dog and doing screenshots and understanding. The other point that's really important that you, you emphasized uh, as well is that balance is, is a, a fleeting point. So the dog will come yes. into balance and then, you know, go through balance and maybe not stay in balance. So you have to then, you'll then have to decide. So for example, if I really want, if I really want to get that back foot on, on the mat, what do I, how do I do that? Well, I would probably train to, the dog to find balance in a stand without a mat and just forget the mat for a while and just work on getting, building that nice, sense of balance into their nervous system. I would make sure I was working on a, on really good footing as well so that that would make it easier. And, you know, so, so not on a slippery floor, for example, and build that behavior of just coming in front of me and standing in balance. I might need to, like I said, I would either have mirrors around me where I could see, so the I could see what the dog was doing as we, as we develop that that position, I might, if I didn't have that opportunity, or if I was training outside or something, I would just video and then train myself to recognize it in my dog. And then once I start to learn what it looks like for the, the dog in front of me, because it's going to change a little bit for every dog, I'll get better and better at being able to, to identify and, and then make my criteria to click when the dog hits that balance point and build and really build that as a foundation behavior before trying to teach other things. So I think I would just insert that as like the bedrock of my training. I, yeah, I shouldn't say I would, I will. This is what I'm now working on. <laughs> so that becomes a base behavior for you. That, that Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And I was already doing the base behavior of having the dog stand in a couple of different positions, like base home base positions, like stand in front of me or stand to one side or the other. But I was not evaluating the criteria of balance. It was just the, the general position of the dog. So then there's things to keep in mind, because if your dog is standing in front of you, they're going to be arching their head up to, to make your make eye contact. So I would probably need to adjust my height, especially while I'm building that behavior. So I might start uh, sitting on the floor for training puppies or sit on a chair for an, a, another dog. So it's, the dog can easily come into balance while I'm building that whole new pattern into their nervous system or reinforcing it if it's already there, depending on, on the dog. And uh, yeah, so I have to, I have to, and then I have to focus on my own delivery of reinforcement to make sure that I'm keeping the dog in, in balance. Cause what I noticed when I watch my videos now is that even if the dog stops in balance, I'm reinforcing and, you know, off to the side a little bit and then they're having to turn their head to take the cookie and that pulls them out of balance and so I'm, I'm working against myself so I have to work on that too so it gets it gets really fun yeah because that's <laughs> a common thing with the horses is that the horse will will land pretty well but then the person feeds them too far forward or as you say off to the side 
and they pull them out of balance. So absolutely working against purpose. I'm thinking of some of the videos that Kay Lawrence has shown when she was uh, had Merrick, her Gordon Setter, when Merrick was a puppy, and Merrick would come running onto a platform, and at first she would just sort of come all higgledy-piggledy and sort of slide into a stop and fall off the platform and so on, because she just didn't have the balance to come in and stop and really nail that stop. And then as Kay worked with her and worked through a variety of exercises with her that promoted that development of body awareness, that she could just absolutely nail a landing at speed onto a platform. And it was impressive to see the change. Really impressive. Oh, that's really cool. Yeah. Yeah, that would be amazing to see. Yeah. It clearly is something that I would say really matters. And you were t you were describing with the dogs when you're, they're working sheep, the way that you want them to go around the sheep, but that some dogs cut in and that that's a balance issue in the dog. Yes, yes. So, and, and I want to, if you could remind me, I want to go back to what you just talked about with the platform as well, because that brought up something else that came to mind, but, but with the sheep dogs, so, which is, which is, this is another wonderful rabbit hole. We often see things in their training, and this is not just true for herding, but, you know, for agility and, and other, other things as well, where we, we think that there's a problem. We, we don't understand that the problem is a balance problem. And so then we don't focus on the right training plan to achieve what we want. So with the border collie, working on sheep, for example, when we send them left and right, we want them to go around the sheep on what we, we, we call the bubble around the sheep. Uh, so the sheep have kind of like pictured them inside of a, uh, like a soap bubble uh, of pressure. And if the dog goes forward into that bubble, they burst the bubble and the sheep will scatter and they'll start to run. And we don't want the sheep to run. We want the sheep to just move very gently. So what we really want to do is have the dog sort of move along with that soap bubble balanced on the end of their nose, just gently rolling the bubble with the sheep inside. If that gives you the visual yes, of what we're trying to very achieve. Very pretty image. <laughs> <laughs> so that's your that's your your ideal that you're trying to achieve. It's, it takes a little while to get there. Now, when you want to send your dog around the sheep, you want the dog to stay on the diameter of the soap bubble and, and not go into the soap bubble. But one of the things that a lot of dogs do is that they will, instead of turning, say, say I'm going to send my dog to the right, instead of turning to the right and, and following that invisible soap bubble line that the dog can feel very clearly around, around the sheep, which keeps them equidistant from the sheep. So they don't, they don't unsettle them. The dog will step forward and, and it's called slicing. So, so they, they kind of like burst that soap bubble. And a lot of times that's considered, you know, oh, that's just genetic. It's you know, the dog just doesn't know the dog is being pushy. The dog might be misbehaving. The dog is too eager. There's lots of things that, 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 that can be misinterpreted as. And a simple fix for that is to teach the dog to turn their head. And so you think, okay, you got to put this focus on, on having them turn their head, but sometimes that doesn't even fix the problem. And the reason is because in order to make that lovely sort of not quite 90 degree turn to follow that, the diameter of the, of the soap bubble, they, they have to rock back into their haunches and then 
sort of pivot yep. from the, move their whole center of gravity back and pivot from there and go around um, and, and then turn and pivot. I imagine like a quarter horse would. And if the dog is out of balance, they can't do that. So they'll, they'll step, they, 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 they can't just rock back really nicely. They'll, they'll basically stumble forward and turn forward on their front. And then what ends up happening is the, the sheep will get scattered. And then, and then that's a problem that you then have to fix. And if we start to realize that this is a balanced issue, the training we would do would be very, might be very different. I would say probably that should be very different than, than is typically done as to fix that problem. So that's just one example that I think is really interesting. Because yeah. if, if you're thinking that it's, you know, the dog is too eager on the sheep, you're, you're not going to, you're going to come up with a very different mindset framework for working with that dog than if you're saying, oh, he's falling over his inside shoulder and he's not rocking back. So let me teach him that component skill of how to rock back and turn. We have the same thing that happens with the horses when you're asking them, say you're, you're leading a horse and you're on the left side of the horse and you want to turn to the right. Well, what often happens is the horse steps forward into that turn off to the right. So you then can't really turn to the right because the horse is going forward, blocking your path to turn to the right. So it starts to feel uh, you either have to hurry up to try and get out in front of the horse, or it feels like the horse is pushing into your space and he's being disrespectful and all of those labels start to get attached. And then the horse is pulling on you and he's dragging you, et cetera, et cetera. When actually, all that it is, is the horse hasn't learned how to initiate into that turn by first rocking his balance back, and then he can make the turn, and he'll be out of your path. You'll both be in balance, turning together, and it will be a very easy turn. It's the same kind of dynamic that you're describing. Yes, it's exactly. I'm visualizing what you're describing. That's exactly exactly the same thing with the dog on the sheep. I would teach that as a skill. So I would think of that as one of the components. So if I teach that component skill, and a very sneaky way to teach it is using food delivery, but I won't go into the, the, the details here because that's another rabbit hole. But we would teach that <laughs> as we would teach that as a separate component skill. And then what you find is that that ability in the horse to rock back and pivot, you see that turning up over and over and over again as you're working the horse in all kinds of places where it's useful that that horse has that balance skill. And you were talking earlier about Anna Brannigan. She, um, as you, you know, I'm sure she published a, a book on obedience. And in the very first chapters, she spends time there uh, teaching the, the dogs to put weight on their back legs and pivoting. Yeah. For, it's, a, it's a foundation skills for her. I think it's probably after reward procedure, the first things that uh, she gets into were something, if, you know, it's, a, it's at the very beginning of the book. Yes, yes. 
I haven't read her book yet, but it's, uh, but it's on my Christmas wish list because uh, <laughs> I know she's done really cool work with her with her uh, border terrier, and uh, and I'm looking forward to learning more. But yeah, it's all this stuff is going to be really. I think it's going to be very exciting to bring to dog training at at a you know and dog sports in general. So you guys, how would you describe balance? What's balance? Is it equality of distribution of weight? What is it if we wanted to put words on it and not and be very descriptive? So what would it be for the dogs? That's a really good question because I think there's different ways we can define balance and there's there's sort of the ideal balance versus uh, actual balance. I know I, I, I I'm, I'm still kind of working. This will be, I'll be interested to hear what you have to say about this, Alex. But um, so I'm thinking about like, you could say that balance is basically the position the dog finds so that they are not falling over so that they can keep themselves. Like if they're, if they're technically in balance, they're, they're able to like not fall over, but, but that's not, that's not what we're trying to achieve. What we want is that an ease where the dog can sort of like relax into gravity and, and, and stay standing. And so I would say that would be a, um, a dog with equal weight on all four feet and a neutral spine and uh, neutral head position and sort of feeling able to just sort of be very, very relaxed in that position, not fighting against gravity to have to like <laughs> keep from falling over. But you can also have balance, you know, if you're, if you're in a different position uh they're doing things they'll 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 hit different points of balance so i'm I'm not quite sure how i would because also when you're doing lateral work you might not have a neutral spine or your head might be to the exactly or the right and you could you could still be in balance while you're doing it how would you describe it alex during lateral work well if if we go back to what uh, some of the experiences in science camp so one of the things that I take people through are a series of standing exercises and they're awareness exercises. So when I say exercise, I don't mean push-ups. These are awareness exercises to learn more about how your body operates in a world of gravity, uh, where gravity is pulling on it. And we start out with, our, with I have people stand with their feet absolutely together and you just stand there for a moment and you feel you get you just as I say you let the jangle of the world drop away and you get a baseline of this is this is how I feel this is what I'm observing experiencing as I just stand here and then I'll have people step out shoulder width apart feet parallel and when I'm in a group of people I will often see as when I say to people step out shoulder width apart. Well, first of all, some people will step out really wide. Some people will step out base narrow. Some people will step out, they'll nail it, shoulder width apart. But they'll fall out. They'll take that step to the side, but they're they're doing it in a way that they're really falling to the side, which means that midway through, if I said freeze frame, they would not be able to come to a still position until until their foot had landed on the ground. But if you step out thinking about your balance and preparing it 
So first you roll up onto the balls of your foot. And, and I'll have people roll, roll up onto the balls of one foot and then roll back down and roll up on the balls of one foot and roll back down. So you're remembering how your feet work. That you're remembering that it is that that your feet work by with this rolling action. And that so often when we encase our feet in stiff, rigid shoes, that we forget how how mobile our, our feet really are. So now when you step out, it's with soft joints in your supporting leg. You're not locked in your knees anymore. It's with a rotation in your pelvis. And, and so if as you step out, midway through, I said, could said to you, freeze frame, you would be able to because you would be in control of your balance. And then when you set your foot down, you set it down softly and you're going to find that if you check and you are truly shoulder width apart, that you feel as though you could stand there for a very long time. And often, as we know, when, when you're just standing, standing can be very tiring and you start looking around for some for something to lean against or a chair to sit down in. That, that if you're uh, doing something where you have to just stand, that it's very, very fatiguing. But now all of a sudden you could stand there, it feels like you could stand there forever. And if I if I could reach through the Zoom screen, since these days we're doing all of this via Zoom, but if I could reach through the computer screen and press down on your shoulder when you're in that position, what I would find is that you're very, very stable and that you're, you are, your bony column is lined up so that you are supporting your structure through your bones and you're not having to use extra muscle to hold yourself up. But if I, if I have you step a little narrow or to lean back in your heels and I press down on your shoulder, you'll collapse through the ribs or you'll be very, it'll be very easy to knock you over. So it's that sense of how do you use your, your structure to align your bones for, and so that you are moving with optimum grace and that when you're in good balance, that movement becomes very easy and it becomes, so. and when you're engaged, it becomes, it, all directions are equally available to you. So it's easy to move forward, it's easy to move back, it's easy to move to either side. That movement in any direction is easily available to you. And so it's, it's not a static position that alone that we're looking for, though often when you look at how an individual stands, that reveals a great deal about how they're going to move. It was really interesting in one of the clinics recently, it was run over two weekends because I was doing a, I was accommodating to a time zone that was not mine. <laughs> so, uh, so rather than get up at 2 a.m. in the morning to begin teaching, we split the the clinic over two weekends and and that was fascinating because through the week I was getting video from some of the attendees and at the start I had a baseline video of this one horse and handler and every time the horse stopped he stopped out of balance so he stopped in that what I call a higgledy-piggledy stance 
his sort of hind feet going every which way. He's not over his bony column. In front, his, his front legs were actually angled back a little bit, sort of the elephant on a drum stance. His head, his front end, uh, he was he was falling on through in his balance. He was on his forehand, so his his head was sort of low and hanging through his his chest. And he was perfectly pleasant horse, perfectly you know led next to his handler on a loose rein. But every time he stopped, he's out of balance, and and it was easy to find that photo. So as I was skimming through a video clip that and it's not a long video, but Every time he stopped, I could pull a freeze frame of, well, there he is looking out of balance. And his handler also had issues in terms of she's habitually uh, locked her knees and that that created a, a, a real arch in her back and her shoulders were behind her. So if, if you carried that under saddle, there would be some things in her riding position that would affect her horse's balance that uh, you would want to address. So we worked through the week and we, were, we weren't working on balance directly. We were working on rope handling skills, but rope handling skills of the handler. And we were working on the, the standing awareness exercises and we were doing Feldenkrais sessions with a Feldenkrais practitioner who was invited to join us in the clinics and we weren't focusing in on, oh, look at how your horse is standing. We were focusing on skill building in the handler. But through the week, she's sending me these video clips. And towards the end of the week, lo and behold, her horse is stopping in balance. And the really cool thing was I could slow the video down. And so when they looked at it frame by frame by frame, in the, at the beginning of the week, when the horse stopped, he stopped with a sort of an abrupt jolt that went up into his stifles. And you could see it was, you know, really kind of jarring. And, and then he would fall forward. And it looked uncomfortable. And I would say from the expression in his face, it probably was not that much fun for him. At the end of the week, when you played this, this clip in slow motion, they were walking along. She was walking so beautifully. And just her position had changed. She was this beautifully, her back was, was straight. There was none of that uh, exaggerated C that, that had been in her posture. She was just beautifully straight. And she looked like she was walking uphill. It was just gorgeous, even though she's walking on a level. And then as she came to a stop, her horse stepped forward and up underneath himself and just nailed a square landing. And again, I could go through that video and, and just pull good frame by good, you know, there, oh, there's another good instance. There's another good instance. The consistency was remarkable. It wasn't occasionally he landed well. And there's the frame I want to pull out. It was, I had an abundance of choices. So an indirect way of answering your question. So uh, just to help people maybe find balance, I know you use, and in, ho in the horse world, we, we use imaginary vertical lines 
to evaluate the posture of the horse. And in some of your DVDs, the micro shaping one, probably, I remember you used the wall of a barn as a line to help you see micro changes in the horses. Can you talk about that? Maybe how people can perhaps imagine vertical lines? Well, that, that's not so much about finding the vertical lines as it mm -hmm. is noticing change. So if you use something that's in the background, when you're looking for really small mm -hmm. changes. So if, if I'm outcome oriented and I'm thinking about, I want my horse to take a step back, mm. I'm probably watching the feet, you know, and I'm waiting for the horse to actually pick up his foot and take a step before I click and treat. And so I end up being a lumper and I end up being late. But what I want to do is look, if I'm looking within a movement cycle and a movement cycle so when you, uh, when a, a movement cycle in a behavior is when, when a, a movement cycle is complete, when the individual is in position to repeat the behavior. So if I pick up a foot and then set it down and then take another step, so I'm in position to pick up that foot again, in that movement cycle, I want to be looking for the initiation of movement you know, as that foot begins to lift up into the air is when I want to click. So I may initially be looking for some really subtle little changes. And by using the background, it can really help my eye tune to these tiny little shifts of balance. So for example, in the micro shaping DVD, the horse is lined up in such a way that there was a barn behind her and, and a walkway, and there was a purple muck tub that was in the walkway. And as this horse shifted her balance back, you could see the a little sliver hmm. of the purple muck tub. And so you could you could tell that her weight was shifting back because, oh, look, there's some purple beginning to show through. So it made it easier to, to see the change. But you're right in the sense that we don't, we don't have natural plumb lines in our body. So we don't have a, a deep sense of, I am on the vertical. What we have is a deep sense of what is normal. And, and, and that was interesting with the handler I was just describing, because as she was talking about the changes she was feeling through the week, she kept saying, it just felt so weird. You know, she said, I felt so weird. I couldn't possibly be correct. I couldn't possibly be standing upright. But then I would look at my at the video and I would see how, you know, really vertical and straight I was. But her body was saying, this is not, this is not normal. You know, my head position is like that. When I go for like a passport photo or a driver's license yeah. photo, they ask you to, to, they want your head to be very straight. Yeah. And so, and I, you know, of course, I, I'm a docile yes. person, so I want to have my uh, head straight. And they always say, can you, can you tilt it a little bit? Because it's crooked. It's to the left. Yeah. I have the same thing, which I had no idea of until I started doing all this online work where I'm staring at myself <laughs> all the time, right? And I'm making all these videos and, and on Zoom all the time. And my head is permanently 
sort of tilted and then when I when I straighten it so it's straight in the video it feels crooked to you it feels crooked to me and that's something I'm working on <laughs> I, me too because I went to see a physiotherapist and she gave me some exercises but it's really weird because I have to have like a line in the mirror to kind of help me yeah. straighten my head learn the new normal like get, get yeah, back to yeah. back to balance and and yeah. and i've been doing some interesting work with uh i don't, I don't know if this is going to go too off topic but i'll quickly say around my own because i'm working on my own posture and alex i have a question for you about that team you just described but i'll finish with my thought first what I'm, I'm doing this whole program about improving my own you know spine spinal posture and everything and one of the things that i've learned is that if you so your head weighs like two to three pounds if you tilt it forward one inch, it weighs 10 pounds. And if you, and, and it goes up something like close to 10 pounds with every inch you tilt your head out of alignment in terms of the pressure that it puts on your body, which I thought was fascinating. And then it starts to round everything. And then you start to build musculature to balance that head forward. And that's why we see, especially people who sit at desks all day long, you, you start to develop that whole posture. And, uh, so, so, you know, clearly uh, it, it, going around with my head like tilted slightly to the right must put all sorts of interesting pressures on my body. And then we have to wonder what that does to our animals as well. And because they'll beca- that becomes just like for, for Dominique and I with our, our head slightly out of balance, that be- you don't even realize you're, you're not in balance anymore. You think you are. So then you can't find true balance because your whole body has patterned itself to this being on an angle that's right or... and that's the, the function of the feldenkrais work because it, mm. it helps you to explore and it, it helps you explore new patterns so that it takes you out of that which is your norm and lets you explore new patterns so that you can find a closer more optimal way of moving some of the sessions that i've had after you've done some of the feldenkrais work it just feels so easy to move it feels so pleasant to move and and while you're in the session you might think oh you know i I don't know that this is doing anything i you know it's sort of bizarre that i'm uh looking over there and leaning you know all these uh, non-habitual movements and positions that you explore and then you start moving afterwards it's like oh oh it's just so it feels so good to move and i think that for me, that's always been, again, one of the core beliefs that I have around the horses is I, I just I just have to believe that it feels good to a horse to move well and in balance, that they derive a great, as much pleasure in feeling their own bodies moving well as we do when we're moving well. I'm going to stop us here. This is such good food for thought. And speaking of moving, or rather not moving, I've been sitting long enough editing this week's podcast. So we're going to take a break here and pick up again next week. I keep hearing how not healthy it is to sit for long periods. And since we're talking about good movement and good balance, It somehow doesn't seem right to sit here for hours on end editing this when I need to stop and get up and move around. So that's what I'm going to do. And I would encourage you, if you've been sitting, to do the same thing. 
a couple of things before I send you off. We've been talking about the virtual science camp. I told you at the end of last week's episode that we're going to have a second virtual science camp in February of 2021. The spots are almost gone. In fact, by the time you listen to this, the event may be sold out. But if you are interested, do email me and I'll put your name on a waiting list in case a spot opens up. And also do keep in mind that we're having the Clicker Expo at the end of January. That's going to be a really fun event this year because it's all virtual, which means that they've set up presentations from around the globe. I'm going to be weather permitting. I'm going to be doing a demo with one of my clients who got a new horse this past year. So we're going to be looking at the process of introducing a horse to clicker training and some of the early work that goes into creating just a great partnership and also a great riding horse. Balance is going to be a central theme for this demo. So if you want to see what some of what we're talking about looks like when it's applied to horses, then that expo demo will be a perfect opportunity. That is, of course, weather permitting. The expo is at the end of January. I do live in upstate New York, and my client and I have both decided that the temperatures drop below. We haven't quite decided what our cutoff is yet, but if they drop below a certain level, we're going to put our foot down and say we're going to plan B. But plan B will be probably even more centered around balance, so it'll work out one way or the other. I haven't told Ken there's a plan B, but there there has to be because I do live in upstate New York, and it is winter, and we've already had three feet of snow. So that's that's the science camp, that's the expo. I'm also beginning to set up my clinic calendar for 2021. I'm a little behind doing that because the fall was beyond crazy. The clinics, at least for the first half of the year, will still all be virtual, which is really a great thing because that means geography doesn't matter. I can watch you working with your horse in your home environment. And that's a huge plus that we've discovered from these virtual clinics. I don't have the schedule for the clinics sorted out yet. I'm working on that, and that'll be posted soon on my website, theclickercenter.com. But I'll have clinics throughout the spring, so keep that in mind as you're factoring in what you want to include in your educational budget. And one last piece. You've heard me talk about the Feldenkrais work. This is something that clearly I truly value. I've made use of the Feldenkrais work for, I would say, decades. It's been a core part of my training. It's sort of woven itself around everything that I present. And one of the good things that's come out of the pandemic is that many of the Feldenkrais practitioners are making more use of Zoom. So you can find a good practitioner via the internet and enjoy the awareness through movement lessons that they give. But you don't have to just, you know, pick randomly. Anita Schnee is a Feldenkrais practitioner who's been attending the clinics that I give at Sydney Martin's place in Arkansas. 
When I shifted to the virtual clinics, I invited Anita to join me. I wanted her to teach some awareness through movement lessons because they connected very much to the clinic material that I was presenting. And I've loved how much her work enriches what I'm teaching in terms of balance for both the horse and the handler. And Anita has become really excited. These virtual clinics have given her a much more in-depth, detailed look at the structure behind the lessons that she's seen at clinics. And so she's really seen how connected the Feldenkrais work that she teaches is to the teaching structure that I present. So her lessons have just been, wow, they've just been exploding with excellence. I'm so pleased with what she's been presenting. And Anita has started to offer a twice monthly online class via Zoom. If you'd like to join us, send me an email and I'll put you in touch with Anita. I'm particularly recommending her work, A, because I know her and I've used her lessons, and B, because the lessons that she's presenting, she's very much tailoring to the work that I've been teaching. She's even applied the concept of movement cycles and loopy training to the structure of her lessons. It's another great example of combining repertoires to make each one even better. If you're interested in her work, email me and I'll put you in touch with Anita. So my email is curlanda at verizon.net. And if you don't remember that, just uh, you can easily find it at my website, theclickercenter.com. And you'll also, on my website, if you go to the events listing, you'll see the Science Camp and the Clicker Expo. And as I get them, you'll see the clinic listings that, I've, that I'll be putting up. So again, that's theclickercenter.com. So next week, we'll continue on with this conversation about balance with Ellen. And my suggestion for all of you would be to take the time to try the balance exercise that I described in this podcast. Stand with your feet absolutely together, then roll up on the balls of one foot, roll back down, then roll up again. Repeat this several times, observing without judgment. That's a key phrase, observing without judgment, your balance and any changes you feel. Then step out shoulder width apart, and again, observe your balance. This is just a beginning, but even this little bit can reveal some interesting things about your own balance, and you may even feel some wonderful changes occurring as you just explore the way your foot moves as you roll up and then roll back down, roll up and then roll back down. Have fun, and we'll be back next week for more. Happy New Year, everyone.